mind that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt. Who am I? Welcome to Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. We're glad you could join us as we teach through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Today's lesson is one in which we know you'll be enlightened to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to Pastor Greg as we launch today's lesson on Who Am I? Turn in your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 12. We're going to be starting in verse 18. Really, I want to dovetail a little bit more in, and, and if you remember our last lesson here in Mark, um, we have the week of questioning. What do I mean? Well, you know that it, is, it was the tent of Nisan. The tent of Nisan we typically call Palm Sunday or Jesus' triumphal entry. But what really is, is is the tent of Nisan or the month of Abib. And here comes the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus riding on a donkey. And the people are yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna, save now. They are choosing Jesus as the Messiah. They're choosing him as the Lamb of God. Well, while that's going on, they're, they're getting ready to celebrate the Passover festival, which is Exodus 12. And I like to rehearse this and keep going over. You're like, we already heard this. Listen, you need to hear it over and over again, because as I've always said, you go to the Old Testament to make sure your New Testament theology lines up. If it doesn't line up with who God was in the Old Testament, then it's bad New Testament theology. It's very important to understand that. So in Exodus 12, we have the Passover festival instituted. On the 10th of Nisan, they were supposed to choose a lamb for their family. And then they were supposed to watch it and question it or look at it and make sure that it was worthy to be sacrificed at twilight on the 14th in the sun. And we have on the pages of Scripture Jesus being chosen as the Lamb of God. And then we see that He goes in and scourges the temple. And then here in the text that I was talking about from last week, they come to Him, the Pharisees and the Herodians, who are typically enemies, are joining together, to, it says in uh, uh, twelve thirteen to catch him. See, they come for all the wrong reasons. They're trying to catch him. And they said, is it lawful to pay taxes? And he says, bring me a coin. Bring me a denarius. And he said to them, whose image or superinscription is this? They said to him, it's Caesar's. Verse 17, he says, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled. Well, what, what, what's he talking about? Render. What are you rendering? It means to give away, to yield up, to give back. Render to Caesar. He made that. God made you. And the whole point of salvation is to bring us back to God. 
So we're supposed to be giving the things to the world that belong to the world or to Caesar and then giving back to God the things that are God. The question is, is whose image is on you? Whose image is being formed in your heart? Is it a culture entity, a worldly picture of who God is, an image that's being fashioned? Or is the image of Christ because of the Word of God and the Spirit of God becoming formed in your heart? Now listen, I would encourage you to go do a study. If you like to study, here is one of the amazing studies. I was doing a study on this image. Go just get your strongs out, open up to image, and start looking through the Bible at the word image. And you'll see that in some of the newer translations, it's changed from the King James because even when it's talking about Baal, even when it's talking about false gods, it says the image of Baal. It says the image of these gods. See, now in the, new, the newer translations, it just says Baal. It doesn't mention the word image. Which image is uh, in the New Testament, it means icon or a likeness. It's representation. In the Hebrew, the Old Testament, it means representation. The very first time it's used in the Bible, the word image is in Genesis 1.26. Let us make man in our image, God said. Let us make man in our image, in our resemblance, to represent us as ambassadors. See, God's people are always supposed to be the ambassadors. They're supposed to represent. They're supposed to be conformed into the image. How do I represent the United States in a foreign country? By all of its affairs, by knowing its policies, by knowing where we stand on different issues. I go over there and I represent my leader. And it's the same thing with Christ, except it's so much easier with Christ. He puts His Spirit in you. He wants you to get in His Word. He's washing and cleansing you. He's making you like Him so that when whatever you do, you just speak up and you're the same mind of Christ. You're learning His ways. He's unchanging. He's not like American politics. He's not like America. He's not like flesh and blood. Now you could think you're representing America, and then all of a sudden the different parties run in America, and you, you, you have the wrong policy in your heart. You have the wrong idea. But God's unchanging. So you don't have to go somewhere and think, well, I don't know what they believe. Let me figure it out. God is always the same, always truth, always promoting righteousness. Listen to me. Who are you representing? Whose image is on you? Romans 8 says the Spirit of God is conforming us into the image of Christ. Not going to go there. Do a study of this. But I will go to 1 Corinthians 15. Look at this. 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. Let's start in 45. I'm not even going to. It's talking about resurrection, really. And we're getting ready to talk about it in our text. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit, of course, speaking of Christ. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural. And after, the, after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. 
That's your old nature. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. Are you heavenly? Is your mind set on heavenly things? Maybe you need to know what heavenly means. I've got it here. Heavenly means above the sky, celestial. It's from a word that means the abode, the place where God lives. That's heavenly minded. Heavenly. That's the way the new creation is supposed to be. Fixing our hearts and minds upon heavenly things, upon the souls of men, upon the word of God. And as we have, listen, listen to this, verse 49 is really where I wanted to get you to. And as we have borne the image, the representation, the icon of the man of dust, that's the old nature, the old man, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. That's a promise. That's what salvation is about. So what are you bearing now? Listen, if you get into the word, prayer, and fellowship and confess your sins and you begin to draw near with a heavenly heart wanting to do the will of God, He puts His image upon you by the power of His Spirit. He begins to give you truth in your inmost parts so when someone asks, you have an answer for every man. But if you get in the world, playing and fellowshipping with the world, What happens? You have Caesar. You have government. You have political correctness. You have a bunch of false gospel on your heart. And when people ask, you go, well, I don't know. Because you don't know the Word of God. Very important what you're doing. The Bible outlines this for us. How to live. How to go. How to grow. Do a study on the word image. You know, it's, it's, again, it's icon. So if you're on your computer and you click on an icon, what happens? It gives you the fullness of that same icon. Christ is the icon of the invisible God, we're told in Colossians 3. He's the image of the invisible God. So when someone clicks on you, what comes out? If you're an image... And you are. You're either an image of Christ and, and the Word of God or your image of this world and Caesar. When someone clicks on you, what comes out? What do they see in the fullness? Now, nobody's perfect. That's not the point. We are being perfected. But what pops up on your screen when somebody clicks on you? When they start to talk to you? Is it worldly minded? The dust? Or is it heavenly minded the spiritual man christ his image whose image is on you who are you rendering your worship to caesar or to god now this morning's text 1218 then some sadducees who say there is no resurrection came to him and they asked him saying teacher moses wrote to us that if a man's brother dies and leaves his wife behind and leaves no seed children his brother should take his wife and raise up seed 
offspring from his brother. That's what it is in the King James seed. Now there were seven brothers. The first took a wife and dying left no offspring. And the second took her and he died, nor did he leave offspring. And the third likewise. So the seven had her and left no offspring. Last of all, the woman died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, when they rise, whose wife will she be? For all seven had her as wife. Jesus answered and said to them, Are you not therefore mistaken, because you do not know the Scriptures nor the power of God? For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. But concerning the dead that they rise, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the burning bush passage, how God spoke to him, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. You are therefore greatly mistaken. Father, we give you praise, and we do not want to be those who would question you and be found greatly mistaken unless we have a heart to turn. Lord, anywhere in our life that we are greatly mistaken, we ask you to give us eyes to see and ears to hear this morning. That the devil would not be able to keep that veil up on our eyes, as is mentioned in um, 2 Corinthians 3. But that the veil would be removed in Christ. Remove the veil, Lord, and help us to see clearly what you would say to the church this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. Again, back in 18, notice you had the uh, 13, you had the Pharisees and Herodians. Now you got the Sadducees. And, and again, we're in this week of questioning, this week of inspection. We're going to see them continue to ask and inspect him. Is he the Messiah? Is he the Lamb of God? What is going on here? They don't even know what they're doing. And they're actually fulfilling the Passover festival with God. They're inspecting this lamb of God. So the Sadducees come now who say that, or excuse me, who say there is no resurrection. Notice how the Holy Spirit gives us that. Came to him and they asked him saying, teacher. Listen, they don't believe in the resurrection. Have you got that? And this, here, here's a basic definition of Sadducees. There's a lot going on. They were the liberals of the day. But they basically, they did not believe in angels. They did not believe in the resurrection of the dead, and they, and they didn't believe in the rest of the Bible after the Pentateuch, which is the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They stop right there. And then they didn't even interpret it properly because they didn't have the Spirit of God. But they didn't believe in the rest of the historical books that were written, uh, uh, the ones that were in the scrolls. They only believed in those five. And you're going to see how important that was because if they'd have went two more books... Judges and Ruth, Joshua, Judges and Ruth, maybe three more books. They would have found three is number eight, right? The eighth book, is that Ruth? Anybody want to check that for me while I keep preaching? Is that the eighth book in the Old Testament? They say there's no resurrection. They came to him. See this again? Before the Pharisees and Herodians, they were trying to catch him. Ruth is the eighth book. I thought it was, which is the number of new beginnings. Listen to this. They came. They don't believe in the resurrection. 
and they came to him. Do you see they came for all the wrong reasons? They came to trick him. Listen to me, this is very important. Why are we coming to Jesus? They came for the wrong reason. They wanted to justify themselves and stay where they were at in their positioning. Listen, they didn't come to him because they knew they were sinners and they needed a Savior. They didn't come to him because they knew he was the, he was the Savior of the world. They came to try to trick him. See, I'm convinced this is their best argument when they argue with the Pharisees who believed in all the Bible, the Old Testament. They believed in the resurrection of the dead, right? And they were the conservatives of the day. So whenever they would get into this argument about resurrection, they would go, okay, there was a man. He was married. He had seven brothers. He died. Then his brother took his wife. It's talking about leveret marriage. You can actually turn there right now to Deuteronomy 25 as we talk about this. And then they all had him. They all had her. Whose wife is she going to be in the resurrection? And then they go, aha, we got him. And they thought they could do that with God. They thought they could come to God and pretend to stay in their position and justify themselves and think that they were okay in the position they were taking. When you come to the Word of God, you're looking to have your heart changed. You're looking to have your position corrected because all of us are wrong. You're not looking to win somebody to your side or your point of view. We're in the Word of God to learn truth because truth sets us free. And they come to the Word of God incarnate for the wrong reason. Why are you coming to church? To feel good? To justify self? To stay where you're at? Why would we want to stay in death? Why would we want to stay blind? Why would we want to stay deceived? We come to grow. It's for the equipping of the saints to do the work of the ministry because we're called to work. We're called to go. We're called to be like Christ. We're being conformed into the image. How do you know what to yield to God and what to yield to man if you don't learn the Word of God, if you don't do the work of God, if you don't surrender to the Spirit of God? They come because they wanted to justify themselves and they wanted to stay where they were at. We only like five books of the Bible. See, they're doing it all across the nation now. They're, pre they're preaching socialism. They're preaching politically correctness. They're only preaching portions of the Bible, not all of the Bible. They're preaching what justifies them and keeps them where they're at so they can promote themselves. They're not preaching God's Word. You can't tell me you're preaching God's Word when you only preach a couple different sermons or you have, pan, you, have, you have canned sermons or you only teach part of the Word of God. You're not teaching the whole counsel of God. As Paul told the Ephesian elders on the banks as they cried together and he said, I have not failed to teach you the full counsel of God. You can't teach topical messages and to convince me that you're teaching somebody the full counsel of God. And nor should a Christian come to church and expect that's the only place that they should learn the full counsel of God. They need to be into the Word of God, being Bereans, so that they can actually question the pastor. Nothing wrong with that, except in today's church, you can't question a pastor. You can't question his, his teaching or his beliefs. Should be nothing wrong with questioning 
and reasoning over the scriptures as long as we all come for the same reason to hear God's truth that's taught to us in the spirit. Listen to me. Doesn't mean that we're always going to agree perfectly. It's okay not to fully agree with your pastor as long as you're trying to do the right thing in the word of God. And if you're both looking and coming to Jesus to find out the real truth, you should be able to meet somewhere in the middle because you're probably both a little bit wrong. They come for the wrong reason. Why have you come to Jesus? Why do you come to church? Why did you ask Christ to save you? Was it because you knew you was a sinner? Do you still know that you were a sinner? Do you still know the rock that he hewn you from? Do you remember where you were at? And they ask him, let's read it, 19. Teacher, Moses wrote to us that if a man, brother, dies and leaves behind a wife and leaves no children, his brother should take his wife and raise up offspring. Now, I'm telling you that in the, in, in the word children and offsprings, all of these is seed in the King James. It's really interesting because, see, out of a seed, something grows and bears fruit. Now there were seven brothers. The first took a wife and died, and he left no offspring. The second took her, and he died, nor did he leave any offspring. And the third likewise. So the seven had her and left no offspring. Last of all, the woman died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, when they rise, whose wife will she be? For all seven had her as wife. Now notice this. I've already told you. Sadducees don't believe in resurrection. So their hearts are not pure perfectly here. You know their hearts are not pure because they're asking a question pretending like they believe in the resurrection. Instead of just saying, we got you. Turn to Deuteronomy 25. You probably already have. They're talking about what's called leveret marriage. 25.5 is where we're going to begin. I'm going to spend a little time on this and, and look at it clearly. And I want you to see what's going on at the same time because it introduces another topic that we want to see. Deuteronomy 25.5 If brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the widow of the dead man shall, be married to, shall not be married to a stranger outside the family. Her husband's brother shall go into her, take her as a wife, and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. Notice this, that God is protecting women. God is protecting the bride. Listen to it. And it shall be that the firstborn son whom she bears will succeed the name of his dead brother, that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. So it's to further that man's seed so he can continue to have a name in Israel. But if that man does not want to take his brother's wife, then let his brother's wife go up to the gate of the elders and say, my husband's brother refuses to raise up a name to his brother in Israel. He will not perform the duty of my husband's brother. Then the elders of the city shall call him and speak to him. See this accountability? But if he stands firm and says, I do not want to take her, then his brother's wife shall come to him in the presence of the elders, remove his sandal from his foot, spit in his face. How degrading is that? And answer and say, so shall it be done to the man who will not build up his brother's house and his name shall be called in Israel, the house of him who has had his sandal removed. 
This is sandals always speaking of a foot. It's the walk. It's his life. His has been removed. He's disgraced. Now, listen. This is probably best magnified. We're going to look at the book of Ruth. That's why I talked about it. Um, Christ became our kinsman redeemer. He became our brother. Listen, he came down. And if you agree with his death and burial, if you agree with him becoming your husband, your lineage is not blotted out from the book of life. You maintain your inheritance if you receive Christ. If Christ comes into you and you into him, there's going to be a seed planted in you that's supposed to bear fruit. And if you agree, then the Spirit is right now actively conforming you into the image of Christ. Just like two people married. He becomes the husband and you become the bride. He's protecting you. Christ restores mankind's inheritance to God. What? In the garden, the first Adam lost it because he wasn't the proper husband to his wife, the covering, who should have protected her, and it brought forth death. The second Adam, who is the heavenly man, the spiritual man, he comes, he redeems us, he redeems those who believe in him, and he restores our inheritance. We become joint heirs because we're married to him, and he's a husband, he's a covering, he's our kinsman redeemer. In John 1, 11 and 12, he said he came to his own and his own did not receive him. His own said no. His own got spit in their face. His own got their sandal taken off. His own would not receive him. But to as many as received him, he gave the right to become children of God. And he has a future work where he'll put their image, his image upon them. Now let's look at Ruth. I want to look at Ruth, the book of Ruth, chapter 4. And listen, I'm not going to go exhaustively. I am going to read it, though. This is the greatest example of this in the Old Testament. It is the eighth book of the Bible. The Sadducees stopped short. They stopped at five. Now, I think theirs might have been lined up differently in the, in the scrolls. So it might not have been the eighth book in the scrolls. I don't know that. I haven't studied scrolls. But eight is the number of new beginnings. It happens to mention the kinsman redeemer who was uh, the grandfather, uh, the great-grandfather of David. And Jesus comes from the line of David he's the lion of the tribe of Judah and so in in chapter 4 we have the greatest picture of a kinsman redeemer and this really happening completely on the pages of scripture get the tape we did this before we went through the book of Ruth you can go to, you can go look at this and listen to this I'm just going to read it rather quickly and get back to our text so that we don't get lost. But I want you to understand what they're talking about. What they could have known and would never have brought this argument if they would have known the scriptures. Which is what God's going to tell them. Christ is going to tell them their problem is. Is they don't know scriptures. They could have figured this all out just by knowing the book of Ruth. Now Boaz, he's a type of Christ, went up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the close relative of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, come aside, friend, sit down here. 
Let's reason together. So he came aside and sat down. And he took ten men, these are witnesses, uh, by the mouth of two or three, let a matter be established. But evidently this is the way they did it in those days. Ten men, elders of the city, and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Now you get this whole tribunal meeting. Then he said to the close relative, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, sold a piece of lamb which belonged to our brother Elimelech. And I thought to inform you, saying, buy it back in the presence of the inhabitants of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not redeem it, then tell me that I may know, for there is no one but you to redeem it, and I am next after you. And he said to him, I will redeem it. See, this is the closest relative. And Boaz, the closest relative, can't redeem it. He's not going to redeem it. Then Boaz said, verse 5, On the day that you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also buy it from Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance. Now, see, listen, you and I are born dead. Do you know that? We're born dead. God is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. It's a really important thing. Listen to me, because you don't, we're going to get to it in the New Testament. But I can tell you right now, in the New Testament, in the King James, it's called the quick. The living is called the quick, the quick and the dead. And quick is a word that we don't use anymore, but quick used to mean to give life. Quick used to mean, looking for it in my notes, sorry. To revive, to make alive, to become alive. And so we're all born dead because of sin. And then uh, uh, through Christ, He makes us quick. He revives us. He makes us alive again because He's our kinsman redeemer. When we believe that He's Lord and God raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. You shall be made alive. He's going to judge the quick and the dead one day. Verse 6, the close relative said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I ruin my own inheritance. You redeem my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now, this was the custom in former times of Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm anything, one man took off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the confirmation in Israel. I'm not going to walk there. You walk there. Therefore, the close relative said to Boaz, buy it for yourself. So he took off his sandal. And Boaz said to the elder and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's. And that all that was Chilion's and Malon's from the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the Moabite, Moabitess, the widow of Malon. So we know who she was married to. I have acquired as my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead. It's what Christ does. Through his inheritance. That the name of the dead may not be cut off, blotted out from among his brethren and from his position at the gate, you are witnesses this day. And all the people who are at the gate, the elders said, we are witnesses. The Lord make the woman who is coming to your house like Rachel and Leah, Jacob's two wives, the two who built the house of Israel. And may you prosper in Ephratah and be famous in the house of bread, Bethlehem. May your house be like the house of Perez, who Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring which the Lord will give you from this young woman. Verse 13, so Boaz, listen, Boaz means this. Listen, this is good. 
in him is strength. Took, it's like a rapture. Ruth, which means friend, in him is strength. So he took Ruth and she became his wife. It's the same thing that happens in the New Testament. You and I. Christ comes and we become his friend. We become the church, his wife. We're betrothed to him. And when he went into her, the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. She bore fruit. When the church becomes the bride of Christ, we're supposed to bear fruit. We're supposed to conceive new life. We're not supposed to be dead. We're supposed to be revived. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a close relative, our kinsman, redeemer, Jesus. And may his name be famous in Israel. May his name be famous in those governed by God. Is what Israel means. And may he be to you a restorer of life. See, we were dead and he restored our life. And a nourisher of your old age. He is nourishing us and feeding us. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is better to you than seven sons, has bore him. Notice the seven sons. Did you guys see that? Did you get that? See, if they would have known this, they would have read this, they wouldn't have come up with some nonsense about seven brothers who married a wife. Here's seven sons again. See, because the kinsman redeemer is way better than seven sons. We want this marriage. We want to be married to Christ, our kinsman redeemer. And you're going to find that the only marriage in heaven, the reason we're like angels in this regard, is the only place, the only way we're married is married to Christ. You can't be in heaven unless you're married to Christ. So the marriage is already there. And as a leader in the church, you have to be the husband of one wife, according to 1 Timothy 3 2. You can't be married to more than one wife. And God wouldn't break his own word. But look at this, seven sons are actually mentioned. Just like they're nonsense in the New Testament, where they want to bring that up to Christ and act like, who's she going to be? Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her bosom and became a nurse to him. Also, the neighbor women gave him a name saying, there is a son born to Naomi. Why? Because it's brought her inheritance back. It's to take her name forward. And they called his name Obed, which means serving or servant. The fruit is a servant. The fruit of being redeemed makes you a servant. We are to bear fruit. For, fruit for what? To go serve others. Is the father of Jesse, the father of David. And of course, that ties the lineage together to David. And then you go to the New Testament, it ties it with David to Jesus. Now, this is the genealogy of Perez. Perez begot Hezron. Hezron begot Ram. Ram begot Aminadab. Aminadab begot Nashon. Nashon begot uh, Solomon. And Solomon begot Boaz. Boaz begot Obed. Obed begot Jesse. And Jesse begot David. So it ties it all together. All together, which is amazing. This is what they're talking about. They're actually talking about inspecting the, the one who becomes the kinsman redeemer. They're inspecting the Lamb of God. And because of them wanting to stay in the place that they are with their knowledge, with their earthly, sensual, demonic wisdom, because they're so far away from scriptures, they're going to miss him. 
he comes to his own and they missed him. See, I think we're so much in danger in the church today of this same thing. We see what they have done, and in the church today, we're following men, we're following books, we're following ideas, we're following culture. We're believing the world and the lies of the wicked one instead of building a love relationship with the Word of God and surrendering and allowing Him to bear fruit in us through the Spirit of God and then becoming servants like the Lamb of God who did not come to to, to be served but to serve and give Himself a ransom for many. So that was their plan. This is our greatest argument. We, want, we come to you, Jesus, so we can stay exactly where we're at. Now look what he says to him. Let's go back to our text. It's Mark chapter 12, verse 24. He didn't say that's stupid. He didn't say that's ignorant. He didn't say shut up. Listen, God loves us. He does not want us to stay where we're at. He wants us to go with him. He's got a perfect answer because He's perfect. He's got the answer for everything. We don't come to Him on Sunday mornings. We don't come to Him in our own devotional time. We don't come to Him anytime looking for justification to stay where we're at. We come to Him to grow. We come to Him because we're supposed to always be on the grow. We're not coming to the Bible to justify our sinful nature, to justify our fleshly habits, to justify our culture, to justify anything. You can see it in the streets today. Those are not the answers. We come to God to learn to love. You know, I read these signs that says, love is love. Really? Love is love? You know, in one sense, it's true. God's never changing, and He is love. But because He's love, He tells you the truth. Because He's love, He doesn't want you to stay where you're at. And so, therefore, you need to know Scripture. You can't just say, love is love. You know what that means in the world? It means you have to love me where I'm at, doing what I want to do. Wait a minute. If I really love you, I'll tell you what love said about your behavior. So that you can be set free. But if you want to come to God and stay where you're at, you can do it just like the Pharisees and the Sadducees did, who missed Him and who do not have salvation. But if you come to God to change, if you come to God to be saved from your own self, to be saved from the pit of hell, to be saved from your death, if you come to Him because He is the living God and you want to live because He's the God of the living, then you need to listen to what He's saying. And we all need to learn to be doers and not hearers only, deceiving ourselves. Because to know what the Word of God says and go on doing what you've always done and using these uh, earthly, central, demonic wisdom answers instead of looking at Scripture means you have sealed your own fate. Christ doesn't have to judge you. You judge yourself. So look what Jesus says to him. Jesus answered and said to them, verse 24, Are you not therefore mistaken because you do not know the Scriptures nor the power of God? Are you therefore not in error, King James? It's, remember, it's the word Plano. This is why I always think of Plano, Texas. That's how I remember the word error. 
an error. Are you an error in Scripture? Plano. It means to roam from safety, from virtue, from truth. It means to be out of the way. Even the Old Testament called the way of God the way. It means to be out of the way. You're in error. We call it mistaken in the New King James. But it's Plano. It means to go into apostasy. When you don't agree with the word of God and the truth of God, you're in error and you're in grave danger. He says to them that they are in error. It actually means to reign from, uh, to go astray or to be seduced, to wonder and to be out of the way. It's from a word that means fraud or fraudulence, delusion. Anybody see any delusion on the planet today in the church? Not just in the world, in the church. We're under strong delusion. It means to be deceived. It, means to, it comes from a word that means to stray from orthodoxy. Listen, there's a lot of churches out there. There's, there's what's called evangelicals for Biden. Oh, I told you it might come up in this sermon. And, and, and what's their whole platform? Somebody like George Soros or somebody sowing a whole lot of money into them. So they'll go out there and say, don't vote on one issue. See, because we're making one issue a platform. Life. You're going to kill 600,000 babies a year. And most of them black. And you want to say black lives matter. And you don't care about those lives ever breathing. Listen to me. So they call them evangelicals for Biden, and they're out there arguing, don't vote just because of that one issue, because Biden is for abortion. Okay, let's take about another whole basket of issues. He won't even answer anything about stacking the court or any issue. He's in there talking about Trump. He's not talking about the issues of what he's going to do for the, for the government. But listen, when you vote, and you should vote, vote for the platform, not the man. Just vote for the platform. If you don't like the way Trump combs his hair, the way he talks, look at what they stand for. Because if you're looking at the image, you might be voting for Caesar and yielding to Caesar something that ain't good. What's his platform? I bet it's for you. I bet, I bet that Donald Trump is trying to take care of you. That's my opinion. But babies is enough. Babies is enough. And if they would let him, he would fix that. Babies are enough. Evangelicals for Biden. You do greatly err. You are mistaken. And you do not know Scripture nor the power of God if you would tell people to vote for people who want to kill babies. I know, they're great. here's their greatest argument. Well, the Democrats and the Republicans both have had a chance to fix that. Donald Trump is fixing it if you let him stay in office. I digress. Jesus said, are you not? Now you can question yourself. Are you not Therefore, Now you can check your reasoning with God. Here he is. Uh, wait a minute. Stop. Are you not Therefore." Mistaken? Are you mistaken in your life today? What would your error be? Why would you have error? 
because you don't know Scripture nor the power of God. See, when you learn Scripture and you line up with Scripture and you obey Scripture, then you're no longer an heir because you're putting on the mind of Christ. You're becoming the bride of Christ. You're looking to do the will of God. You're looking to be heavenly minded with a perspective of what God wants to do. So many people have this perspective. When things go bad, God's mad at me. Really? How about a heavenly perspective? God allows things to go bad so you'll look to him for help. See, the perspective is upside down, and that's what they're teaching in the churches. You don't do what Job's miserable counselors say and go, go look for sin in your life if things are going bad. You should always be looking for sin in your life. You don't have to wait for things to go bad. There's sin in your life when things are going great because God's such a gracious God. You should always be dealing with your sin. But when things go bad, sometimes it's because you're doing the right thing. And you just keep doing what you're doing. You keep seeking God. You keep getting into the word prayer and fellowship. You keep being adorned as a bride waiting for your husband, your groom. Are you not therefore an heir? Because means this is why. This is what he's saying. This is why. Listen, when you have error in your life, when you know there's sin in your life, when there's issues in your life, when you aren't lining up with Scripture... Here it is, because you do not know holy writ. You don't know the scriptures. They were in scrolls. But here's another thing, though. They may have knew them. They didn't, they didn't believe in anything but the Pentateuch, the first five books. They may have knew them in their head. Listen to me. They could have known them with a head knowledge, but not with a heart knowledge that wanted to change. And that's a lot of the church. And see, knowledge just is in your head. It puffs up. But when it gets into your heart, it begins to change you into the image of God because now you want to do the will of God. It's not just to be having power and wielding the sword for the wrong reasons. You do not know scriptures. Do you know scriptures today? Are you endeavoring to get into the word, prayer, and fellowship daily? Are you endeavoring to go through the Bible with the Spirit of God there asking God what this means to me? What am I supposed to be doing about this? Am I in error there? How do I figure out this? How am I being conformed to your image? Listen to me. This is very important. Because if all you're doing is spending time in the world, playing and fellowshipping with them, you're being conformed into the image of the world. That's the trick of the devil. You're not being transformed by the renewing of the mind because only the word, prayer, and fellowship with God and His people as you confess your sins and begin to obey the word conforms you into the image that looks like Christ. Looks like your groom. Looks like you've been brought back and given an inheritance in the house of God, and you're no longer dead, but you're living. Oh, make no mistake, all of us can act like we're dead. You can be fully alive and act like you're dead. You can, you can be a fool and not be one that says no to God. You can do foolish things. Because this flesh is still hanging on to us. We're still here. That's why it's got to be a personal love relationship. Moment to moment, day to day, 
You've got to stay in that place where you know that you're surrendered to Him. Remember where you came from. But he says to them, the reason they are in error and the reason they fight so much with the Pharisees, the reason they fight so much about this and they don't want to believe the rest of the Old Testament scrolls is because they don't know scriptures. Now listen to this. Uh, Know, the word know, you know not, it means to be aware of or consider. They're not considering scripture. If they considered the book of Ruth, they might have changed their mind. They don't have knowledge of or understand. Understanding opened, uncovered by the Holy Spirit. And many today are doing the same thing. They're trying to live lives chasing their own desires. Not considering what Scripture says. Not beholding and being aware because they don't read the Word of God. Study the Word of God. They don't come to God for the right reason. They want and long to go on. Listen. Anybody that wants to long and go on in their own desires, that's normal. But now we just shine a light on it. We just shine a spotlight on it. It's normal in the sin nature to want to keep doing what you want to do. But in Christ, He reveals that and He says, don't be in error. This is not a life that's new. This is not a life that's been redeemed. It's a normal thing to deceive yourself. But it's not a normal thing if you're a Christian that's awake to keep deceiving yourself. You do err and you are mistaken. And it's because you don't know Scripture, nor, neither. Here It can mean not even. Don't know Scripture, not even the power of God. Isn't that amazing? Not even the power of God. Power is the word dudamus. It means ability, the ability of God. It can mean miraculous power. It's the word we have in Acts 1.8. Remember that word when Jesus said, quit worried about all that stuff. But you shall receive power, dudamus, the ability. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be witnesses for me, martyr, is what the word is. It's martis. A witness is a martis. Throughout Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. That's the word power there. You don't know what the scriptures are saying, nor the ability of God, that it's possible with God. The power of God. And when we're in error and we're coming to church and we're living in a way where we want to stay where we're at and not grow, that's the reason. We're not studying the scriptures. We're not understanding the ability of God, the power of God, or walking in the spirit of God. Are you, here's the questions. Have you been reading the word? Are you greatly mistaken or in error in your life because the holy spirit convicts you if you're god's you're convicted of it you already know when i say are you in error are you mistaken do you know the scriptures the power of god whose image is on you then when people tap on you the wrong way 
Christ goes on and says to them, For when, he doesn't, he doesn't argue with them, he tells them that they will rise. For when they rise, and resurrection and rise means to stand back up again. It, mean, it means to raise from the dead. And it can be used in a moral sense as a recovery of truth, a recovery of spiritual truth, which is what we need today. We need this so bad today in the church or the people that call themselves a church. We need a recovery of spiritual truth. They needed it then. They were arguing amongst themselves without God, without the Spirit of God. They had their own little ideas made up. They divided into groups and they did what they wanted to do. Look here, you can see it. Pharisees, Sadducees, Herodians. They had the synagogue of the freedmen. They got the scribes. They got all of these different groups that think that they know what they're doing. And they missed Christ because they didn't know Scripture nor the power of God. And today we have a form of godliness which denies the power thereof. We raise up teachers who tickle our ears. We like what they're saying and we meet where they're at and we go do what they're doing. But we didn't really come to change. We didn't come to grow. We didn't come so that we might know Him in a more deeper relationship. We came so we could stay where we're at and feel justified, just like these Sadducees did who didn't even believe the whole Bible. Oh, that's the Old Testament, we say today. Really? There's only one testimony. There's only one testament. It's all the testimony and the testament of God. And because somebody died, now that will can be fulfilled. Because God has the power and the might and the ability. He has the desire. He's not willing that any would perish, but all of you would come and receive life and receive your inheritance and be restored by the kinsman redeemer. And yet many will say, nah, I like the walk that I have. I'm going to keep my shoes on instead of putting on yours. I'm going to keep my inheritance of death instead of putting on yours. In fact, let's do it. Daniel 2. I wasn't going to do it. Don't have it marked. I'm going to look for it with you. Daniel 2 actually talks about this. Daniel 2. Is that in the Old Testament? Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea. Daniel 2. Don't freak out, Mike, just because I went to Daniel. He started slobbering all over his pages. Daniel 2, two oh, excuse me, Daniel 12, 2. I did that wrong, didn't I? 12, 2. I wasn't going to go here, but I seen this in the margin. I knew it wasn't looking right because I, I had it squared out in red in my Bible and I couldn't find it. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt, death, hell. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Now it's interesting because he's getting ready to tell us, and he tells Daniel to shut these words up. He's getting ready to tell us we're like angels in those senses, and stars are oftentimes reflective of angels. Listen, so let's go back. I just wanted to read that, that there's going to be a resurrection. 
John tells us the same thing. There's a resurrection of the living and a resurrection of the dead. The dead go to hell. The resurrection of the living, they go stay with life, heavenly minded. Again, verse 25, Mark 12. And when, not if, when they rise, resurrection, stand up again from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels in heaven. Now, in this regard, they're like the angels. Listen to me. They're not given in marriage because they're already married to Christ. Are you with me here? In heaven, you're married to Christ. We already talked about this. But notice how he kind of gives them another little jab. They don't believe in angels. So he's not only telling them they're going to rise and you do greatly err and you're in trouble in the heart of your Christian walk because you don't know Scripture nor the power of God, but they're going to be like, and he compares them to somebody else he doesn't, they don't even believe in, angels. You know, it's really interesting. A lot of the church today don't even believe in the devil. Isn't that weird? You really? That's because you don't know Scripture nor the power of God. Things that we still practice in our lives, things that we have in our houses, things that we don't do and we do, it's because we don't know Scripture. We're not building a love relationship. We allow evil things to stay in our homes, in our hearts. Because we're not building a love relationship, we want to do what we want to do. Now, they're just like the angels in that regard, but I just thought it was funny that well, we don't become angels, guys. And, and angels aren't laying on clouds playing harps. They're servants of the Most High God. They're messenger angels. If I'd have read Daniel 12.1, you'd have seen that, that Michael's going to speak in it. He's going to bring a message. He's going to open things up. I think it was Michael. But, Jesus goes on, let's stay on point, don't want you, because you know, can you just see him, he sees their mind going, he just compared them to angels, they're like, we don't believe in angels, we don't believe in angels, and see, he's having a conversation in our inner life, this should happen to you and I, on Sunday morning, when we're in the word of God, it should really be a battle, it shouldn't be a fun thing to come before a holy God, and you go, oh no, he's speaking to me. Yet we've made church fun. We're coming to be corrected. We're coming to build a relationship. We're coming to be prepared to go out. You shouldn't be able to sit in a, a, a fellowship. shouldn't be able to hear the word of God and never be corrected because God loves you. He wants to correct you. He corrects his own. He does it with mercy and grace. And he gives you the ability to choose the correction, and say, yes, yes, I hear that, Father. Yes, I hear that. Can you help me? I know you have supernatural ability. Can you help me to correct that in my life? Can you help me to do that day to day? But to sit in a church and go away and never change, might as well be a bar. It's deception. God loves us so much that He won't allow us to stay where we're at. He wants us to grow and go. He's equipping us. He's done everything for us. So He doesn't stay there as their minds go nuts hearing this truth and then arguing amongst themselves, but they don't want to make Him mad because they're trying to, to win the argument. 
They're waiting for him to finish. They want to stay where they're at. If they accept what he says, they have to change. If they accept what he says, they have to believe the whole Bible, not part of it. That's what's wrong with much of the church today. They only believe part of it. But concerning the dead, let me talk to you about the dead, Jesus says. That they rise. They do rise. Have you not read? Listen, are you reading? Jesus is not telling you to go dig a hole. He's not telling you to do crazy stuff. He's just saying, stand, surrender, be part of my my kingdom, accept the inheritance. Abide, continue, and remain in the word. That's what the word stand means. Histomai in the Greek. It just means to abide and continue and remain in my word. Learn to obey it. He's not even saying do it by next week or you're in trouble. He's given you a lifetime to have a heart towards heavenly things. To say, Lord, move me in that direction. Give me a desire to obey. He says to them, very clearly have you not read and then he says to them because he wants to meet them where they're at in the book of moses now he's referring to deuteronomy or excuse me exodus chapter three he's referring back though to what the five books that they believe in he'll meet people where they're at and still their wisdom won't line up with what they think they know. That's why you have to come to be corrected. You have to understand that we're in error. We're sinners that led, left to our own devices. We'll keep doing what we've always done and think we're okay. Because the devil's that deceptive and our flesh is that much bad. It's in death. It loves to do what it does. So he says, have you not read in the book of Moses? And it actually doesn't say what this says. Mine says, in the burning bush passage, it actually says in the King James, how in the bush, how God spoke. That's pretty important because the bush is a thorn bush, which probably represents the curse. The bush is a bramble bush. The bush has will stab you. It will kill you. But it was on fire and was not consumed. But it spoke. I think it might speak of he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He could handle it. He can do it. His power is so great. He became a man. He became the Lamb of God. Have you not read? And of course, now this is really, you know what? Listen, this is really to them. What about a sock in the face? What about a sock in their heart? What about a sock in the conscience? Because they think they know those first five books and that they're doing good with them, but they're pretty liberal. Have you not read those first five books? Oh, the second book, book number two, after I created book of Exodus, I delivered the children out. Moses was supposed to be doing it. One drawed out. And he tried to do it in his flesh, and he couldn't even kill one Egyptian soldier. So I had to take him in the backside seminary into the desert and take, take the, the Egypt out of him and give him a, a backside seminary degree. And then he's out there with the, with the sheep, and he's tending them for his father-in-law 
thinking he's a failure. And the whole time I was taking the, the world out of him. And so then I spoke to him in the bush passage. You know what happened, don't you? When, they, when, God gets, when God gets you out of you, you know what happens? You don't want to go no more. Because you see you. Now you don't want to do it. Then you have to start to learn to rely upon his power. See, this is what growing's about. This is what going's about. This is what when you err is about and you keep coming to God, He begins to show you more and more who you are, more and more who He is, and then you begin to say, I might be in the wrong place. Like, what, what did Peter say in the boat? Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. That's the reason I came, Peter. You're a sinful man. I came to redeem you. I want to make you my own. I want to put you in my family. I love you. I'm getting ready to pay for that. All of us are sinful men. The more you grow in grace, the more you want to shrink back if you do it in your own strength. Believe me. How God spoke to Moses, who they revere, saying, I am the great I am, I am that I am, the God of Abraham. Abraham means father of many nations. The God of Isaac, laughter, he laughed, she laughed. The God of Jacob, deceiver, supplanter, liar. He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. You are therefore greatly mistaken. Now he gives them two witnesses. He said they were mistaken. Now he says you're greatly mistaken. What does he say? Greatly mistaken. Listen to this. Listen to this. Greatly means much, largely, abundantly, altogether, oftentimes, straightly, plenteous. Listen, and if you are mistaken and miss Christ, it's eternity. You stay dead. What's his point here? As you read the Bible, even though a couple thousand years before that, Abraham, maybe 4,000, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob gave up their physical breath, they're still alive. Remember, they're at Abraham's bosom, they're still living. Because these are only earthly tents that house our spirit that will live somewhere forever. We do not want to greatly err. I really like, you know, he says, but he says, have you not read? Of course they read. It means to know again, to remember. Let me remind you that in the bush passage, which they would know perfectly, the curse, the thorn bush, the bramble, the briars. God said, I am the God of the living. They were alive. See, at that time, they were all dead. But he says, I am present, their God. Are you spending time with God? Are you reading the Word of God? Are you growing in the grace and the knowledge of God? 
Oh, and, and I can even throw out there, just let me just throw this out there. Not for salvation. But as an evidence that you are living by faith. See, because if you're not doing the things that pertain to the Spirit or even have a desire for it, you may have never really believed in the first place. It's not for salvation. You're saved by simply believing. It's a confident trust in Christ for salvation. But then it means a constancy in it. You continue in it. You don't stop. And so if the Spirit of God comes in and seals us, and the kinsman redeemer has, has, has not blotted our name out, but he's put us back in the family of God where he's our father now, the way it was before Adam and Eve, the way it was in the garden before original sin, then we should have a desire in our heart because of that spirit to obey God. To begin to follow God, to draw near to God, to read his heart, which is here in the word of God. This is his heart. This is his ways. And love is love and it doesn't change. It does not. He is God. He does not change and God is love. But today we're changing it where you can get away with that because I love you. I'm not going to oppose you because I love you. That is a fake, earthly, central, demonic love. Love stands up. Love comes down. Love put on flesh. Love went and died to redeem. Love tells the truth in love. It's kind of like saying, have faith. See them signs? In what? You cannot leave that hanging out there. Have faith in God. Love is love. My goodness. Science is science. My goodness, how dead can people be? A lie is a lie. How about that? Put that on your sign. And we want to know truth. Because truth is the God of the living and the dead. Or excuse me, truth is the God of the living, not the, the God of the dead. He's going to be their judge. Jury, executioner, cast him into hell. And he has no desire for that. He takes no pleasure in seeing uh, the, the ungodly die. He gave his son to save every single person ever born. He didn't want to waste any of it. Whose image is on you? Are you still earthly minded on the dust? Or are you heavenly minded looking to go and to grow? Or do you greatly err because you do not know scripture nor the power of God? Because he's given it all to us as an inheritance. And it's in his son Christ Jesus. And all we have to do is stand. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. He'll do it. All you have to do is draw near. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, give us a stronger desire to spend time with you. To spend time in your word. Lord, that our hearts would be ready when we come. Not coming to stay where we're at, but coming so we can grow. Coming so we can go. 
coming so we can be equipped to continue to do the work of the ministry for you. Lord, so we could come and learn to win souls because he who wins souls is wise in your wisdom, Lord. Thank you for the ability, the power, the might to stand. Thank you for all that you've given us in this inheritance. May we set our hearts and minds and soul and strength in a heavenly place, looking unto you, the author and the finisher of our faith. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord bless you. And that concludes today's message on Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. If you're in the area, we would love to have you as our guest. Harvest Chapel is located at 418 Old State Road 28, Williamsport, Indiana 47993. We meet for worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. Our prayer meetings meet Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. Our Bible study meets on Friday at 7 p.m. Today's and previous messages are available on CD. If you would like a copy, please call 765-404-7203. We look forward to seeing you again next time on Who Am I? Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I fear? Because I